There once was a woman named Maria, born in the highlands of Honduras in 1980. She grew up speaking Spanish. She is mestizo, of both Spanish and indigenous ancestry. Her family has lived in Honduras for as long as anyone can remember. Maria is not just one woman. She is a character, a fabrication, a story. But the experiences she has are real and happen to thousands of women like her, women who flee violence, poverty, and a changing climate in Central America. They join caravans and migrate north. These are their stories. Cuando nos agarraron nos metieron a un cuarto bien sí, frío que nos dolía hasta la cabeza. El machismo aquí en Honduras, ah, en el piso, desde que le ven la cara a uno y, y no miran que somos hispanos, papel saben que, que eh, no niños, tenemos documentos. There have been 300 rebellions and civil wars in Honduras since independence in 1838. Honduras was never a peaceful place to live, but Maria and her family loved it all the same. They've farmed here for generations, recently shifting to growing coffee for an American coffee cooperative. Coffee first came to Honduras when the Spanish did, along with disease and bloodshed. The coffee beans that Maria tends to are sold in American markets and eventually roasted, ground, brewed, and poured into the wax paper cups of Los Angeles consumers and artisan cafes. In recent years, Maria's coffee plantation has suffered. Rains fall inconsistently and a new virus has decimated the crop. What little survives each year doesn't fetch a good price anymore. The climate is changing and her farm is dying. In the 80s, when Maria was a small girl, the same L.A. streets that now drink her family's coffee were home to a small community of Salvadorian migrants. The Reagan administration determined them to be a threat, so they were deported back home to countries without the capacity to control gang violence. They grew and spread, even to Maria's neighborhood. They called themselves Mara Salvatrucha. Today, they're better known as MS-13. MS-13 and the epidemic rise MS-13 is particularly violent. And tonight we take you inside one of the most dangerous countries on earth, a place where criminal gangs control entire neighborhoods. And these gangs from El Salvador are now... They are violent and without mercy, not even for children. Maria goes to sleep every night terrified that her two kids will end up brutally slaughtered by the gang, as happened to her husband a few years ago. She fears being kidnapped and assaulted herself. Nowhere here is safe from their watchful and vengeful eyes. Maria's son is getting older. She dreads the day that he's coerced to join their ranks. So Maria scrapes together enough money, borrowed and loaned from friends and family members, to pay a coyote to take her and her children north. Maria and her children have braved the trek through Guatemala and the southern Mexican border. They traveled on foot through the jungle for days, tracing a well-worn path laid by thousands of migrants before them. Maria's feet are ravaged by blisters. Her whole body aches. They make it to a bus station, where they hide in a secret compartment below a large passenger bus. 
they are accompanied by many other migrants, most of them fellow Hondurans, or Guatemalans, or El Salvadorians. Twenty years ago, most migrants were single men looking for work. Now, Maria sees lots of families just like hers. Many of them are also farmers. They grow coffee and cocoa and bananas and sugarcane, most of which they export around the globe. Recently, there have been more and more years with a crop-destroying disaster like a late-season storm or delayed rains. Scientists anticipate less rainfall and temperature increases that will destroy crops. So they end up here, traveling north in record numbers. The bus ride is long and bumpy. Maria holds her children tightly and tries to sleep. Maria arrives at the U.S. border and has to make a choice. Does she take the risk of applying for asylum in the United States, where without a lawyer, 90% of cases get rejected? Or does she chance the heat and treacherous terrain of a desert crossing? She chooses to turn herself in at the McAllen Central Processing Center in southern Texas, putting her fate in the hands of the Border Patrol. In 1998, when Maria was 17, Hurricane Mitch devastated Honduras, killing 5,000 people and leaving 1.5 million displaced. Her village was devastated by floods, and her family lost their entire crop. It took months to regain access to power and water. After that, she thought she'd be ready for what she'd find at the border detention center, but nothing could have prepared her for this unnatural disaster. As we walked in, it was very sterile. There were chain link fences from the floor to the ceiling with netting at the very top. In 2014, climate scientist James Hansen testified again before Congress, decades after he first warned them of the dangers of global warming. In those decades of inaction, the climate problem became a climate crisis. Because we really have reached a point of a planetary emergency, and it's because there are tipping points in the climate system which we are very close to, and which if we pass, the dynamics of the system can take over. So the momentum of the system will carry you to very large changes which are out of your control. The tipping point had already reached Maria. After weeks of camping outside the processing center, she is notified that her application to cross the U.S. border is rejected. She looks out at the desert. Out there, the wall eventually ends. Instead of a fence, there's the sun beating down, hotter and hotter every year, a deadly barrier of its own. Many who have braved the trek before her have not survived. Thousands of bodies have been recovered in the desert, all partway through their journeys to safety. Rejected for asylum by the country that pushed her towards it, Maria is one of thousands of people caught in an endless loop. It begins 
And it ends right here, at the border of everything.